Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Connection Church. If you got your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, going to be in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I just want to say a special welcome. My name is Blake. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here and just thankful to be able to serve this morning. And I'm thankful for this church and just thankful even for a teaching team that we have. Uh, last week, Steve just did a great job week before Frankie. And uh, man, I'm just glad to be able to serve uh, with these guys. And so uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas coming up. Anybody ready for the holidays? Who loves Thanksgiving? Is that not the best time of the year? Food? Love food. Macaroni and cheese. That's what's going to be on my plate. But a lot of friends, a lot of family, going to be some great times. Uh, May, do you have any family members, maybe some friends that, that think they're just full of themselves? Uh, they love to talk about themselves. You know anybody that just, anytime you're around them, they love, they care a lot what people think uh, about them. They're full of themselves. Uh, I've learned it's hard to be full of yourself and full of Jesus. Uh, in other words, God is for you. Life's just not about you. And we land in a text uh, in 2 Corinthians this morning where there's these super preachers, super apostles, who, who like to boast in their own credentials. And the church is us boasting in their credentials, these super preachers, and it's taking the glory off of Christ. And it's taking their focus off what matters most, and that is Jesus. And Paul is a little bit agitated. And, and you're going to see that as we read. He gets a little smart with them. And so it's very sarcastic. And so uh, verse 16, here's what he says. I repeat, let no one take me as a fool. He said, I ain't no fool. But if you do, then tolerate me just as you would a fool so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. And one of the most important things is people's view of Jesus. And Paul, it wants them to view Jesus rightly. And he wants them to know, hey, what I'm about to say, Jesus probably wouldn't speak like this. Uh, Jesus, this isn't the mindset of Christ. And he says in 18, since many are boasting the way the world does, I too will boast. And we know the way the world boasts, man. We boast in the flesh. We love it. We like the strongest, the prettiest. We like to be number one, on top. Number one, black and red, on top. <laughs> Go dogs. We love it. We love it. We love to boast uh, in the flesh, and this is the context in this passage. Is this almost like the New York City of the day, a credential city? Uh, man, the, the empire of entertainment, the empire of, of credentials and boasting in self, that's what uh, Corinth was. And that culture crept into the church, and they're starting to boast in these preachers and boast in things that doesn't really matter. And it's taken away the glory of God. But Paul's like, hey, I might not be a good speaker, but I do know Jesus. He says, I might not be impressive, but I do live on mission for his kingdom, not my own kingdom. And in 19, he says, you gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Uh, the Greek could be translated like this, y'all are acting dumb. Okay, not really, but John MacArthur says one of the most sarcastic uh, passages Paul's ever penned. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, exploits you, takes advantage of you, puts on airs, slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit, we're too weak for that. 
Whatever anyone else dares to boast about, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm speaking as a fool here. I also dare boast about. You want to boast in credentials? I'll give you some credentials. You want to boast in skill? I'll give you a few skills. Are they Hebrews? Me too. Are they Israelites? Me too. Are these super preachers? Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? Again, I can't believe I'm saying this. I am more, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Now I'm not that smart, but I know 40 minus one is 39. And I know 39 times five is 195 lashes. Any of y'all ever got hit 195 times? My dad hit me 195 times with his belt. Anybody else got a spanking growing up? Okay, we got a few amens. This is the dirty south. That's how we roll around here. And uh, my, my, my dad, he, uh, he didn't hit me for my faith. He did it because he loved me, but not because of my faith. But Galatians 1, uh, 6, 17, Paul says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Then he says, three times I was beaten with rods. The Jews gave me lashes. The Gentiles gave me beatings with rods. In other, in other words, one commentator says he was beaten by the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, his own people and other people. Why? Because the gospel is offensive to everybody. It rolls up in everybody's face and says, you're a sinner, you need to repent and give your life to me. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I wrecked my ship three times. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Hashtag heart attack. Y'all ever, ever been to the ocean? Ankle deep right here. Y'all ever read the book of Jonah? You ever been to the aquarium? Some big fish out there. We got catfish around here big enough to eat somebody. Ankle deep for me, man, I ain't doing that. You're on your own. You go out past ankle deep, you're on your own. Two, two summers ago, we was at the beach, and uh, we saw a shark. And uh, it was swimming around. And all these moms start running towards the water to get their kids out. I'm like, have y'all lost y'all's mind? I left both mine in there. East and Angela ran both. So you're on your own. You, eight years old, you better learn how to run, okay? You heard the whistle just as good as I did. You heard the lifeguard's whistle just as good as I did. I was out of there. But man, a, a day and night in the ocean, I would die. Uh, 26, he says, I've constantly been on the move. And following Jesus will keep you busy. He was always on the move with his disciples. And sometimes I feel like I deserve a little me time. Got weddings this week, funerals, weddings, preaching, devotion, all this time. Sometimes I deserve a little me time. You ever felt like that? You work, you go to church, you feel like you deserve a little NBA time, a little college football. So, I mean, leave me alone. But he was constantly on the move. He was in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger, in danger on land from false believers. 27, I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And I just want to say, man, Jesus knows what it's like to be cold and naked. and knows what it's like to be hungry and thirst. He was born naked in a manger, he was stripped naked, hung on a cross, and said, I thirst while he hung on it. He knows exactly what Paul's going through. Uh, besides everything else, verse 28, I faced daily the pressure and concern for churches. Listen to how he loved the church and his anxiety. 
Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and do I not inwardly burn? Paul says, what hurts me more than wrecking my ship is watching people wrecking their lives. And my heart breaks for the church, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether it's willing sin or unwilling sin, my heart burns for the bride of Christ. Therefore, verse 30, if I must boast, I'll boast in the things that show my weakness. Paul says, I'm not going to be, if I'm going to be known for anything, I'm going to be known for God's strength, not my own. For when I'm weak, he is strong. In 1 Corinthians 1.17, he says, God sent me to preach the gospel, not with eloquence and wisdom, unless the cross be emptied of its power. You see, Paul didn't want to make his, his own name famous among the saved. He wanted to make Jesus' name famous among the lost. It was all about Jesus for him. Verse 31, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who's to be praised forever, knows that I'm not lying. He might not have had their approval, but he had God's approval. And I just want to say this. You may not win the world, and you may not win other people, but if God is for you, who can be against you? If he's on your side, what else really matters? Verse 32, in Damascus, the governor under King Aradius had the city of Damascus guarded in order to arrest me. There was no way out. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Another way, another thing is God is a way maker. He made a way where there was no way. And it was in Damascus, he went there to arrest people. But he left there under arrest for, for preaching the gospel. And you see a change in his life. Well, that's an encouraging text, isn't it? Uh, William Shakespeare, I, was, I saw a quote this week that said, I once cried because I didn't have any shoes, but then I saw a man that didn't have any legs. And that's how I feel when I read this passage. I read this passage to see what he's went through, and I think I've had a hard time. And then I read it, and I'm like, man, he's been through a lot. But the truth of this passage is let me show you what he's, he's trying to get to. He's trying to get the Corinthians to understand this truth in chapter 12. That God's power is made perfect in weakness, not our prideful boast. And he shows us what a great life really looks like. And so I want you to write this down. One, be careful what you boast in. Be careful what you boast in. Verse 16 says, let no one take me as a fool, but if you would, then treat me like you do a fool. In this self-confident boasting, I'm not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Boast, the word boast here means to glory. It means to exalt, to be worshiped in. It's, one, it's okay to be proud of something. That's rooted in thankfulness. But it's another thing to be a prideful person. That's rooted in sin. And what they were wanting is they were wanting people to glory in them, and they were glorying in the skill sets of preachers and other people in the church. But write this down. There's no room for boasting at the cross. Write this down. Worldly credentials don't produce spiritual status. Worldly credentials do not produce spiritual status. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says it the best. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. 
Let not the rich man boast in his riches. It's okay to be wise. It's okay to be rich. It's okay to be mighty. But just don't boast in yourself. But what God says is let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows God. That he knows the Lord and his steadfast love. That he knows righteousness. If you're going to boast, boast in Jesus. Big dog Peter says it best. Peter says in 1 Peter, he says, once you didn't have mercy, now you have mercy. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people because of what, I, what God has done in your life. No one in the kingdom walks in the kingdom with a swagger. We walk in the kingdom with surrender. It was God that gave us life. It was God that gave his life for you. It was God who saves you. It's God who forgives you. It's God who keeps you. It's God's credentials. It's God's cross. On the count of three, say God. One, two, three. Literally, he gave us his spirit, God, in us because we're not sufficient on our own to live the Christian life. Ephesians 2 says, this is not of yourself so that no man can boast, but we boast in Jesus. But there's something in us that loves to get the credit. Romans 8 says, they change the truth about God for a lie and worship created things other than the creator. And so instead of worshiping God and boasting in him, we want other people to worship us and boast in us. The world boasts in fleshly credentials, but the Christian boasts in the, the gospel. Paul did, uh, 2 Corinthians 4-5, through 5, he says, he says this, he says, we preach not ourselves, but Christ as Lord. Jesus did in John 8, 50. Jesus said, I'm not seeking glory for myself. In verse 54, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. Even the ministry of the Holy Spirit is supposed to point you to Jesus, to magnify Christ, to be a floodlight for Jesus. So how do we live a life that makes much of Jesus. I would tell you the same way Paul did. Don't live your life to try to be famous among the saved. Live your life to make Jesus famous among the lost. I would encourage you, never forget where God found you. You didn't come into the kingdom with swagger. You came into the kingdom with surrender. And the gospel story is a rescue story. Ask the Israelites. Ask the thief on the cross. Ask Nicodemus. The gospel story is rescue. Ephesians 2 says you're dead in your sins. I made you alive. And God wants to meet you with rescue, but then grow you in rescue. In other words, I need Jesus more tomorrow than I did today. I need him more and more every single day in my life. The key to kingdom growth and success isn't growing deeper into your own strength. It's collapsing into his strength every single day because when we're weakest, he is strongest. John Newton, he, who wrote Amazing Grace, he says this, I quote him, the life of faith seems so simple and easy. I can, I can point it out to people in a few words, but when it comes to practicing it, my advances are so slow. I hardly move forward at all. Anybody else? 
feel like you should be a little further along by now. I know I look at my life and I'm like, man, I thought I would be further along. But I, I have to remember it's not me, it's Christ in me. I have to stop striving in my own strength and start collapsing into his strength because the fate is, the fact is that we bring nothing to the cross except for the sin that made it necessary. We didn't come with boast. We came broken. Everybody comes to Jesus broken. Uh, second is this, not only never forget where he found you, but never forget his purpose for your life. To fill the world with the knowledge and the glory of God. That's his purpose for your life, to share Christ among the world, his glory, not my glory. John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him. That's John Piper. This, this is John the Baptist. He said it best. He must increase. I must decrease. He must be greater in my life. I must become less than in my life. In other words, his glory has to be greater than my glory. Christian growth is constantly decreasing so he can increase in your life. That's why John the Baptist said, hey, I'm not the light. I'm just pointing to the light. John the Baptist, that's why he was giving away his disciples and pointing them to Jesus. You go follow this guy. I ain't even worthy to untie his sandal straps. Don't worship me. Go worship him. Philippians 2, even Jesus says he was in the nature of God, but he lowered himself and became a servant. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. The way up is down. Even Philippians 3, Paul says, man, I was a, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew, a Hebrew. I was circumcised on the eighth day. You, want, you think you're great, you step in the ring. I'll show you great. And then Paul says, I count it all as crap compared to knowing Jesus. And then in Ephesians 3, what was his prayer? I want y'all to know that Jesus, the height, the width, the depth of his love. And Paul shows us God's purpose for our life is knowing him and making him known, making much of Jesus. So third, be quick and examine your heart. Is there anything in your life right now that you want to be seen for? Is there anything in your life right now you want the glory for? When it comes to serving your spouse, when it comes to serving in the church, the truth is, is my heart is wicked. Deep down, my heart is really, really wicked. I would love for y'all to worship me. I would love for y'all to say, man, that Blake, he can kill it, son. He can preach a good sermon. Matter of fact, matter of fact, he looks good too while he's doing it. I mean, God, he's a good-looking guy. I would love for y'all to worship me. I would love for my wife to worship me because I wash the dishes. Just come in the house. <sniffs> Smells like clean house in here. <gasps> and he washed the dishes. Oh, my God, I made the best husband in the world. I might have a little sex with him tonight. He deserves it. I would love for her to worship me. I would love for people to worship me, even the, even the disciples. These jokers, these jokers weren't that great. Even they couldn't get it right. But John, always wanting you to know he beat Peter in a foot race. Always trying to be the best. Always trying to point to his own glory. You know what I mean? 
I mean, oh, there was a mom who came up to Jesus, the mom of two disciples, and says, Jesus, I want you to make my sons great. Because every mom wants her kid to be great. But then Jesus said, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And the truth is, the sober reality is we can't drink that cup. And the sober reality is God will share his glory with no one. There's two options. Humble yourself or be humbled. It didn't work out that well for Pharaoh, who didn't let his people go. It didn't work out that well for Saul in the end. It didn't work out well for Judas, Ananias, and Sapphira. And it didn't work out that good for Paul until he was broken and humbled. Be careful what you boast in. Don't be a spotlight for yourself. Be a floodlight for Jesus. Not just that, but two, when following Jesus, expect adversity. My boy Paul went through the ringer, didn't he? I mean, he cuts through any misconception that following Jesus means life's going to be easy. Like following Jesus means things are going to go great for you. He cuts through that misconception. I mean, look at some of the things he went through. Physical adversity, check. Social adversity, yeah, check. Mental adversity, check. Spiritual adversity, check. And like them things are pretty normal. Like spiritual warfare for him wasn't something out of a horror movie. He just wrecked his ship three times. Got beat for his faith. Church hurt, check. Health issues, check. He went through it. Adversity comes in different shapes and sizes, but it is promised. And this is big facts right here. When you spend your life advancing the gospel, you will face some adversity. And when you do, I want you to remember th these things. One, count the cost. That's what Jesus said. And that's why I love Jesus, man. He's so raw. It means just real. You ever read the Bible and then Jesus says something and you're like, dang, I can't believe he said that. Man, I, I do that happens to me sometimes. Sometimes, like one guy said, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus is like, yeah, probably not. Birds have nests, fox have holes. I don't have nowhere to lay my head. I'm like, dang, he's just trying to follow you. Then another guy's like, hey, let me go bury my father first. And Jesus is like, yeah, let the dead bury their own. Like, hey, there's no better season than right now. And I'm like, dang, the invitation, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose their life. But whoever loses their life for me will actually find life. What does it mean for someone to gain the world but lose their soul? A Bonhoeffer, a quote, he says, when God bids a, man, bids a man to come and follow him, he bids him to come and die. Like you have to give up something. Like you can't have the best of both. And you have to ask yourself, do you even want to follow Jesus? Do you really want to? Because it will cost you something. Jesus rarely calls us to comfort. It's not that Jesus is always going to call you to comfort. It's that no matter what he calls you to, he'll be your comforter. He'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So listen, count the cost. Also, to learn your adversaries. Learn your adversaries. I love baseball. Any baseball fans in here? Man, I grew up playing it, so it's so normal to me. But the, the more I've been out of it and the more I watch it, the more I actually fall in love with the game 
because I see just how interesting it really is. I mean, you got the bullpen. That's awesome. They're going to be the last people on planet still using the landline. I love that. And, and here's what you'll see if you watch the games. They'll be in the dugout on the iPads. They just, like, they're just, they just struck out. Now they're looking. They're, they're trying to study their adversary. Try to study their opponent because when you know your opponent, then you're ready to play the game. And you've got some adversaries in your life, a broken world that we live in, a sinful flesh that dwells in us, and a crafty enemy. And the goal is to disarm you from spiritual growth in your life and advance in the kingdom. That's what adversity does. And so you need to know the world we live in. The flow of this world is not going towards Jesus. It's not, and it's not going to. Only the church will. And I love what Steve said last week. Everyone wants to be a Christian until it gets biblical. Like, man, when, when you get out in the world and people aren't being biblical, how will you live your life then in the face of adversity? Like the world says, hey, you can follow Jesus later in life after high school and college. But the truth is, Jesus says, a heart that denies me today is a heart that will deny me tomorrow. Or the world says, hey, you're missing out on living life. But the truth is, real life is found in Jesus and this world is passing away. Or the world will say, hey, just keep Jesus in church on Sunday. But the truth is God didn't die to be your Sunday God or to be my Sunday God. He wants to be the God every day of your life. Understand the truth about sin. I, uh, I did a wedding this past week, a couple weeks ago. And man, I love weddings, but they're always a little bit emotional for me. Because at every wedding, man, everything is beautiful. And I was at this wedding, it might have been the most prettiest wedding I've ever been at. And man, you just got the cross right over there. We're about to get married behind there. It's the perfect time of day. There's a pond. The reflection of the trees are coming off the pond. Everybody's dressed up. She's stunning. He looks great. And here I am about to go marry him. And this is what God impresses on my heart. Every single person here, including the pastor, is stained with sin. It looks good, but there's a real enemy in us. It is sin in us. And when the Bible speaks about sin, it speaks about passions and desires. Philippians 2 says, the, their God is their stomach. What feels good, what looks good, what seems good. And you're driven by compulsions. Uh, James 4 says that the sin in them is what wages war against them. The selfishness of sin. Why do you fight in your marriage? That's why. Why do we have trouble with our kids? Because we live by compulsions. What feels good, seems good, looks good. And we want to do that, but our desires wage war against each other. And here's what the enemy does. He plays into those passions and those desires. That's what he does. Looks good, feels good, and you bite the fruit, but every fruit that you bite has a hook in it. And he's got you. He, he got them. Man, he got, he got them with their passions and their desires. Here's a few names for Satan. Slanderer, tempter, prince of the air, angel of light, morning star. Like those ain't scary names. Those are attractive names. 
prince, angel of light, the prince of the morning star, those seem good. He's not coming at you with a flamethrower. He's coming at you masked up. It's going to look good, seem good, feel good, but it ain't good. That's the game that he plays. I love verse 3 of chapter 11. He says, Eve was deceived. That's deception. By the serpent's cunning in her mind, and they were led astray. That's distraction. Distracting on things that don't matter. And then you're led away from your pure devotion from Christ. That's division. And he got the Corinthians with that three-piece. Division, distraction, and, and then um, deception. He got them. They love they to be entertained. Got them. Got them focused on great preachers. Man, he got them with distraction. They were focused on the church inside and forgot about the mission outside. And because of that, it caused division in their life. And, and that's why I want to ask you, if you were Satan, how would you tempt yourself? Are you deceived? Are you chasing the wrong things? Are you distracted by worldly things? Has Satan rocked you to sleep? Are you divided? Are you fighting battles that don't really matter? You need to count the cost. You need to learn your adversary, but you need to rest in Christ and reap the harvest. It might not be easy. It is worth it. The fruit of your labor is worth it. I love Paul said in 23, I've worked hard. In verse 27, I've labored and toiled. It's hard work, but the fruit of the labor is worth it. Watch this. Paul mentioned jail, but you better not forget about the Philippian jailer who was saved. He told you about the shipwrecks, but don't you forget about the salvations. He told you about his stripes, but don't forget about all the souls. There was purpose in his pain, and it was on the foundation of suffering that the divine carpenter did some of his greatest work. And what I've found out to be true in life is sometimes it's the valleys that the soil is the richest. Sometimes it's when you're down low that God does his greatest work in you. No test, no testimony. No trial, no victory. No valley, no mountaintop. It is worth it. And here's the honest truth. A lot of the people today, the reason we're not facing adversity is because we're not living on mission. 80% of Christians aren't making disciples. And we've built a Christianity that's built around our comfort. But that's not always biblical. 10% of Christians were making disciples, but then they quit when they faced a little adversity. And maybe you're in here and you remember you were running hard for Jesus. And maybe you failed. Maybe something didn't go the way you thought it should go. And I just want to say this to you. Disappointment doesn't define you. Maybe you shared your faith with somebody and they pushed back and it didn't go well. And you said, well, I ain't doing that no more. Or maybe you tried to serve in the church or tried to do something and it didn't go according to plan. It doesn't define you. Get back on mission. And then 10% of us, we're just not living on mission. Or maybe the other 10% of us, we are living on mission. I would tell you, remember Romans 8. 
I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing to the eternal glory that awaits us. Do you believe that present adversity is worth eternal gain? Do you believe it? Are you willing to step out and follow Christ even if it ain't easy? Three, learn from Paul how to love God's church. I don't wanna spend a lot of time here, but I want you to see the heart of God. Jesus prays when he goes back to the Father, he says, God, make them one as we are one. He died to unify the church and make us one. That's God's heart, love one another, serve one another, pray with one another, one another, one another, one another, one another. And then you look in this passage and we see Paul's heart. And what I've seen is sometimes it's our own family that's the hardest to love. Sometimes it's your own friends that let you down the most. But don't step away from them. Step towards them like Christ did you. Paul's father heart in this passage, he says in verse two of chapter 11, I'm jealous for you. I promise you to Christ to be a pure virgin. Verses 28 and 29, he said, I face the daily pressure and concern for churches. Who's weak and I'm not weak? Who's led into sin and it does not bother me? It kept him up at night. Paul said, are you weak? I'm weak. Are you sick? I'm sick. Are you hurt? I'm hurt. Is this true in your life? Do you love the church the way Jesus does? And I wanna challenge you, don't give up on the church. Don't give up on the church. We have a low tolerance for people sometimes and we'll cut them out of our life. We'll cut the church out of our life. And I would tell you, don't give up on people. Go after people. Don't get mad at people. Show mercy to people. Be to others what Christ was for you. Learn from Paul how to love God's church. Love people. Four, be transparent and share your life. I love verses 32 and 33. Because listen, somebody's lying. These super preachers and their skill sets and their credentials and you see everything good about them but somebody's lying, but not Paul. He's vulnerable and shares the truth about his life. One of the most weakest moments of his life, he says in Damascus, the governor of King Aratus had the city guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from the window in a wall and slipped through his hands. Paul's like, I went to Damascus with approval to arrest people. I left under arrest. I was at the lowest point of my life and he's willing to share that with other people and our tendency naturally is to cover up. Adam and Eve was naked and unashamed and then when they sinned, they ran and covered up and they didn't want people to see their shame and their guilt and that's what we do naturally. That's the truth about the dating world, man. When you go on the first date, you ain't talking about all your junk. You don't pull up to the first date, the first table, at the table. You look good, you wanna smell good, you wanna talk smooth, you wanna put on your, you're a used car salesman. That's what you are. 
you're a liar. They're not getting the real you. They're getting the fake you. But man, can you imagine dating like in your 40s and 50s? Man, we wouldn't even be like that no more. You can forget that. I ain't got to worry about that. But if I did, I'd pull up a chair and be like, all right, let's get it out on the table. On a scale from one to 10, how crazy are you? I want to know the truth. We can be honest in here. But we naturally cover up, and we cover up with our abilities and our credentials. And we point to our abilities and credentials. We'll even use church and religion to cover up. Paul says, I ain't going to point to my abilities. I'm going to point to my life. I need Christ. And the gospel transparency is we get to walk in the light as he's in the light. Because the reason we cover up is, watch this, we say, if they know this, then they might not love me anymore. But the truth of the gospel is we're fully known and fully loved. He stepped towards our brokenness, not away. Now I don't have to hide anymore because I'm already hidden in him. He hides me. He covers me. I don't have no secrets. Big Brother James says, confess your sin to one another. And it's when you confess your sin to one another, you take off the mask of self-righteousness. Because when you don't want to be honest, that's just self-righteousness in disguise. You don't want people to think this about you, to know this about you. But the fruit of it is there is power in honesty. It exposes the enemy. It frees you from self-righteousness. It lightens the load of sin and brings joy into your life because sin is heavy. And when you get it out in the open, it brings true fellowship back to Christ. And you're honest with your life and your need for Jesus, and it speaks to other people. People don't want to follow someone who's always right. They want to follow someone who's real. You can be right but not be real. I don't want to follow someone who's always right. I want to follow someone who's real with their life. There's a guy in our connect group that even said that this week. He says, I don't need another meeting. I need something real. I need something raw. I need you to tell me the truth about sin. And this is how we relate because we can impress people with our strengths. But we connect with people through our weakness. And it's the reason the church is in the shape that it's in today is because they don't want to be honest about sin and want to act like everything's okay when truthfully everything is falling apart. How could we come in here and worship God and raise our hands to the one who forgives us but then not be honest about what he's forgiven us for? Be honest. Is there anything in your life right now that you need to bring to the light, I would tell you, God's not looking for the best version of you. He's looking for the real you so he can show the world the best version of himself. And then lastly, five, be encouraged and trust in Jesus. You know, I was thinking, I was reading this text and everything he went through. And I started wondering, I wonder if Paul ever wanted to quit. Like, I wonder if there's ever a time after he wrecked his ship and wrecked his ship and wrecked his ship again, 
and trying to plant churches, and then they're not even admiring, they're not even giving him credibility again and again and again. I wonder if there's ever a time in his life where he just said, you know what, screw it all. Like, I'll go home. Like, I don't have to be here. And the truth is, the answer has to be yes. But something held on to Paul. Something held him. Something gave him strength. It wasn't his strength, it was his weakness and Christ's strength in him. Verse 31, this jumped out of me. He says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows I ain't lying. God knows. Those are two words that he lived by. No one else may believe me. Nobody else may accept me. Nobody else. But God knows what I've been through. God knows I'm not lying, and that's where I get my acceptance from is him. And not only does God know, but I want you to see this. God lives. He lives. I was reading this text, and I just got so encouraged because there's two options. Either Paul met Jesus in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Either that happened, or he's the craziest son of a gun on the planet. But it's no in-between. Like, he's a psycho, or he met Jesus. You don't go through all of that for no reason. And I'm just so encouraged that I don't put my faith in something empty, but I put it into a risen Savior named Jesus. And he shows me not just that God knows, not just that God lives, but he shows me God delivers. In verse 32, he says, In Damascus, the governor under King Aradius had the city of Damascus guarded to arrest me. There was no way out. But I, lo I was lowered in a basket from a window and slipped through his hands. God delivered Paul from Damascus. But watch this. Before God delivered Paul from Damascus, God had to deliver Paul from himself on the way to it. God's a deliverer. And I was sitting there, I went to Country Cafe yesterday with my little boy. And we were eating breakfast. And God just began to speak to me. And it was almost, I couldn't even hardly be present with him. Because God was just showing and putting things on my heart. And what he showed me, because I carried my Bible in. And I was reading, and, and God showed me that Paul knows what it's like to be on both sides of the stones. He knows what it's like to throw them but he knows what it's like to get hit by him. And man, that just spoke to me. Maybe you're here and you want to quit. Maybe you're here and you've went through a hard time. I would tell you, it ain't your strength. It's his strength in you. I would tell you, fix your eyes on Christ. Maybe some of you here walked away from the church. Maybe you've been church hurt. Maybe you say, I don't want to do this anymore. I remember first, in 1 Timothy, Paul says, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the chief. He did not write that. 
younger in his life when he was persecuting the church. He wrote that verse later in his life after he already planted the church. He didn't grow in strength. He grew in weakness. The key to the Christian life is growing in disparity. Not independency, but dependent. Every single day, knowing I need Jesus today more than I did yesterday. It's not our strength. It was his weakness. It wasn't independency. It was disparity. He didn't grow in boasting and swagger. He grew in repentance and surrender. And maybe you're here and you've, man, you're mad at the church or you've went through some things or whatever. Get your eyes off everything else and get your eyes on your desperate need for Jesus because that's the truth. Where else would you go? There's nowhere else to go. The way up is down. It's when we're emptied, we can truly be filled. Christianity isn't climbing, it's collapsing. And that's what I love the most about Paul, is he shows us that you can never be too bad for Jesus, but you can be too good for Jesus. At the end of your day, when you stand before God, where will your boast be at? Will you be boasting in the flesh? Or will you be hidden in Christ? And I know where we live. We live in the only place on earth that you can say you're a Christian and not be one. Because it's not your good works. It's his good works in your place. And I implore you, Give your life to Jesus. God, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. I thank you. It's not my strength, but it's your strength in me. And God, I know I'm glad that our faith ain't empty, but we have a real Savior named Jesus. And God, you love us, and you died for us. And so I pray for the person in the room that's got their eyes on everything around them. And I, I pray you would help them get their eyes on you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.